Good evening, everyone. Time for us to begin. Welcome to everyone, especially any visitors that we have. I don't see any right off the bat, but uh, if you are here visiting with us, we're very happy that you are. Um, uh, this evening, Drew will have our prayer and scripture reading, and uh, Joe Galloway will have our closing prayer. It'll be uh, readily apparent within the first two songs tonight uh, what Chris will be speaking on. Um, so if you will, let's stand and sing number 39. Don't worry about guessing. Worry about just singing the words and mean them. How's that? We're going to be singing the uh, verses and then the chorus. Okay? I hope that got in. Angels are singing redemption, sweet song, wonderful thing, glorious thing. Shout the glad message and join with the throng, singing redemption song. Sing the sweet story, redemption. I had it right, Rick. You had it just. When you're 71 years old, even if words that come out of your mouth don't stay in your head. Let's start that over again, and we're going to sing the verses and then the chorus. Y'all remind me if I uh, start slipping up. Sorry about that. Angels are singing redemption, sweet song, wonderful thing, glorious thing. Shout the glad message and join with the throng, singing redemption song. Seated, please. Next song's number 57. <clears throat> All four verses. Awake and sing the song of Moses and the Sing how he is 
going to be reading Exodus 3, uh, 1 through 5, if you want to turn in your Bibles. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see the great sight, why the bush, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see God, called out to him of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Let us pray. God, we thank you uh, for this opportunity uh, that we're able to meet together as a church. Uh, again, to uh, learn more about you and to uh, sing praises to you and to one another. Uh, from the scripture, we're thankful that, uh, that we don't have to go to a place to meet you um, like they did then, that we have you uh, living inside of us. I just pray that uh, what we learn from the message tonight, that we'll be able to take uh, this week and other people will be able to see uh, you inside of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Song of Invitation is 583, if you're using your books. Song before the lesson, me number 388. Let's stand again while we sing this song, if it's convenient for you. Let every heart rejoice and sing. Let Songs and honors sound. 
Be seated. Good evening. Starting a new series uh, tonight that's going to last us through the end of November on Sunday nights. Uh, we're calling it Worship. And I wanted to deal with a couple of different aspects of worship. There are some things that aren't really worth thinking about, right? There are some things that maybe slights, uh, maybe someone's offended you in some way, or you're not mad about it two weeks later unless you, you amp yourself back up or something like that. There are some things that aren't really worth considering, that aren't really worth taking your time to deal with those things. But worship is not one of those things. Worship is one of the things that ought to surround us. It should envelop us. And as we come together as a body of the Lord's believers, we ought to consider some of these things. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 24, uh, the Hebrew writer encourages us to think about how to stir one another up to love and to good works. And so as we come to worship, there are some things that we need to be thinking about. And so maybe this, maybe this series will be helpful for you as, as we maybe look at some aspects of our worship in maybe in a different light than you've looked at them before. Tonight we're talking about singing. I, I like to sing. I don't have a good singing voice. And so I struggle with that. Uh, and I've noticed over the years that it's kind of made me tone down my singing. But I don't know why that's the case. And, and I think it's past time to change that. Because as we sing, we worship God, right? And He doesn't seem to care what our voices sound like as long as we're pouring them out to Him. I think of Colossians 3, 16 and 17, as we think about singing, usually we'll go to this verse and we'll talk about uh, the lack of instrumental music in our worship. And usually when you hear a lesson on singing uh, among our brethren, it's usually more geared toward that. And I don't want to do that tonight. I think those are true. And I've taught those lessons. And I think that's the way God would have us to worship. But I also think that there's more involved here that we may have been missing and that we need to pay special close attention to. And so I kind of wanted to bring some thoughts to you tonight from, from Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17. Let me, let me read it for you. Verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, the, to God the Father through Him. We're going to kind of break up Colossians 3, 16 and 17 tonight into three different parts and kind of use it as a pattern for how we ought to worship, at least an aspect of how we ought to worship. Maybe some thoughts that we have um, not considered as deeply as we should have. This first little bit here, the first phrase that Paul uses, uh, strikes me. Tonight, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so, when I think through that, I think oh, I need to be prepared when I come into worship, don't I? You need to be prepared. There needs to be preparation behind me sitting in the pew and looking up at the screen and getting ready to sing. There needs to be some forethought 
behind walking in the before you walk through the doors and into the auditorium, there needs to be some thought that goes into our worship. Let me give you a couple of examples. The one Drew read for you tonight from Exodus chapter 3. When Moses stood before God, there was some preparation that he needed to have done, right? Specifically, the the section that Drew read for you, uh, he needed to take off his shoes because where he was standing was holy ground. God was, was there in the midst of that bush, consuming it, but it not being, he's burning it, but it's not being consumed. And so God was there, and so Moses was told to take off his shoes. This is some preparatory work that he needed to do before he entered into God's presence. Had Moses not taken off his shoes, he would not have gotten to stay in God's presence. Think about that for a second. There are some things that we need to do that prepare us to enter into his presence. If we don't do those things, we've done worship and an injustice. We've not done it as well as we could. Often in our culture, you'll hear people say, well, uh, I don't want to worship in this way or where these people are in this style because I don't get anything out of worship. That's obviously, and you know this, the wrong question and the wrong statement to be saying, right? What we're trying to consider tonight is what can I give in worship? What can I give in worship? I've thought a lot about um, preparatory stuff over the last several weeks as Titus has been running cross country. and you know, He started off at, at that 11.45 mile, which I can't run a mile 11 minutes and 45 seconds, so I thought that was really great. But uh, a couple days ago we were in Nashville and he finished up with, with 8.01 or 8.07 or something like that, really low eights. And I thought, well, he's put in the time, right? He's, we've talked about this a lot at our house. You put in the time and you get the reward. But if you don't put in the time, if you don't put in the work, if you don't have the preparation, if the preparation isn't right, you're not going to get the reward. And you see that clearly with sports, but you see it in vivid color with God. Specifically, you see it in vivid color in the Old Testament as people come to Him and worship. There needed to be some preparatory work done before they were allowed to come into His presence. And that's something we don't think about very often, is it? That's a thought that we don't have very often. But it needs to be thought through. That there's work on this side of worship that prepares me to enter into His presence. Not so that I can enjoy the worship, although that's a side effect, but that I can give as much worship as possible. You see the distinction? Psalm 24 is another passage very much like uh, the thought found in Exodus chapter 3. Psalm 24, he says in verses 3 through 6, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in His holy place? He's asking the exact same question we're trying to deal with tonight. Who is worthy to worship the Lord? That's a question that ought to haunt us. Who who is worthy to worship? It's certainly not me, right? Because I've got too much sin. I've got too much rebellion. I've got too much selfishness. There's too much of me and not enough of Him. Even if there's an inkling of me 
and all the rest is him, there's still too much me. And so we're none of us worthy to worship him. But the psalmist struggles with this question just as we do. And so he says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? And then he answers his own question, right? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. There's some preparatory work that goes behind coming into God's holy place. That's what the psalmist leads us to believe here. There's some purity that needs to be drawn out of us. Uh, that we need to be imbued by the purity, not just in sexual purity, but in, in, in every kind of way. All the sin that has tainted us, we need to be focused on expunging that. He says, your actions need to be in line with who God wants you to be. A clean, you need to have a clean hands. You need to have a pure heart. You can't lift up your soul to what is false. You can't swear deceitfully. You have to seek Him. This is some of the things that we need to be doing and thinking through as we come to worship. Now, if you don't have all that together, none of us do. <laughs> You still come to worship. We still work through it, right? But our goal is to give as much praise as possible. To make it as honoring to God as possible. And so it just makes sense that there ought to be some preparation on my part to make that happen. I don't just stumble into God's presence. You never see any of the Old Testament characters simply stumbling into God's presence if they knew they were going to be there. Isaiah in Isaiah 6 gets transported into God's throne room and he stumbles into God's presence and he is completely unprepared. But that's kind of the point of the text. God wanted him completely unprepared so that Isaiah would get it that God is the one who's preparing him. And the same thing's true for us. God has prepared us to come to worship. But we play a part of that too, don't we? We can't just roll out of bed and come to worship. There needs to be forethought, right? Let me take you to one more passage as we think through this idea of preparation. Um, flip over to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19. This uh, is the episode where the children of Israel have left Egypt. They've come to the base of Mount Sinai. God is about to give them His rules. Uh, in fact... Moses is about to go up onto the mountain. He's going to receive the Ten Commandments there. And God is on this side of the Ten Commandments telling Moses, really telling the people through Moses that if you will obey my commands, I will bless you and I will stick with you. I will be your God. Now there's a statement we all want to hear, right? I will stick with you and when you're so broken you can't and don't know how to go on your own, I will be there for you and I will stick up for you and I will fight these battles for you and I will protect you and I will be with you. That's the promise that he's giving the children of Israel through Moses. Moses takes that promise and he goes back down to the people. 
Moses is a mediator, right? He's, a, he's an image, a type of Christ. And so he takes God's message back to the people and he says, hey, this is God's deal. And what do you say? Do you say yes or no? Or do you, you just want to wander out in the wilderness and go off on your own? Or are you willing to accept this incredible thing that he's offering here? And so they say, we're in. We want all those things. We, we will abide by his statutes. His rules will be our lifeblood. And so Moses takes their words back to Yahweh. And Yahweh has some afterthoughts here. Before the Ten Commandments are given and after the people have said, we want you we want to be in covenant. We want to be in a relationship with you. That's where we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. He says, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. This is the purpose of miracles, right? You find, it in the same, you find the same idea in the New Testament. In John 20, 30 and 31, these things are written to you so that you may believe. When Jesus did a miracle... It was to confirm the speaker's relationship with God. He is God's person. Moses, or God's using uh, this thick cloud and the voice that coming from the thick cloud to prove that, that God is with Moses forever. Well, here's what he says. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. There was some preparation that the people needed to do to be ready to meet with God. Had they not done that, they would not have been pleasing to Him. Does that make sense? Had, had they not done what He asked them to do, they would not have been ready to meet Him. To meet with Him. That's what we do when we come to worship. We meet with Him. Right? We're meeting with the Almighty. There needs to be some preparation on this side of worship so that I can give my best in worship. Not so much that I can get out of it, because that's the wrong... It's not how it works. Worship's not about me. Although, if I'm giving my best in worship there will be benefits to me. The real question I have to ask is, what do I need to do so that I can give my best in worship? I need to prepare. I don't, I don't know what that looks like for you. I, I would imagine it looks like <clears throat> a variety of things for a variety of different people. If you've got small children, it's hard to prepare yourself for worship because you're rushing out of the house and these kinds of things. And so we, we struggle in that way, but that happens every Sunday, doesn't it? And so at some point, we've kind of got to learn how to do it. Um, maybe if you're, uh, if you're struggling with work or if you're struggling with some, some drama that's going on in, in your house or at work or here or wherever, eventually you've got to come to a place where you say, I'm going to give my best. And so I've got to deal with that somehow, some way. <coughs> I've got to deal with that. So we prepare. We work through this so that we can come into his presence and give our best. Next thing that he says there in Colossians 
chapter 3. Get back over to Colossians chapter 3. We're kind of using that as the outline tonight. So I wanted to rehash it in your minds. In verse 16 he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. When we hear that verse, we're hearing prepared. There's some things that you need to do to come into his presence in a way that's honoring to him. An awful lot of people in scripture come into his presence in ways that are not honoring to him. I don't want to be guilty of that. I want to bring my best. I want you to bring your best. When we come into his presence, we need to have been prepared. We need to have prepared our hearts to do that. And one of the ways we do that is to let his word dwell in us richly. We talked about preparation uh, the last several minutes. And one of the ways that we prepare, all of us, one of the ways that all of us prepare is to let his word dwell in us richly. This word needs to be hidden in your heart, right? It needs to flow out of your mouth. Because this is our language. This is, this is how we think. This is how we react. This is, this is our foundation. We build our lives on His words. And if we're not building our lives on His words, the worship doesn't really matter. There's several different types of worship in Scripture. One of those is vain worship, and it's useless worship. And if I'm not allowing His Word to, to, to dwell richly in my heart, my worship's vain. It's useless. It's something we work on. And so we continue to work on it. So let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So I, I think there's you see the, the dual quality of worship there. We have a vertical aspect to our worship. We, we come into God's presence and we prepare our minds to do so. But there's a horizontal aspect to worship too. As we sing these songs, the person next to you hears you and is being built up and taught by those words. Songs have an incredible amount of power in them. Let me give you an illustration that will connect with you to prove this point. Have you ever heard anyone on their deathbed recite the words of a sermon? Never have, have you? I never have. You know what I've heard? As people have struggled, as they've come down with cancer diagnoses and uh, these awful diagnoses and things, and as they've struggled to draw their last breaths, you know what I've heard? Songs, song lyrics. Sometimes psalm lyrics, the, the Old Testament hymnal. You hear an awful lot of Psalm 23. <clears throat> hear a lot of Psalm 100. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. <coughs> Excuse me. Songs have an incredible power to push truth down into our hearts. We can need to take advantage of that. I need to have prepared my mind so that that is possible, not just for me, but for the people sitting around me. Go beyond that, though, and look at the next vertical aspect of our worship. He says in, in Colossians 3.16 that we sing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
we sing with thankfulness in our hearts. You know, it's awfully hard to stand in our pews and to sing the songs that we're being led in and just kind of be monotonous with the ways that we say those words, the ways that we sing those words, right? I don't want to sing, but you guys know what I'm talking about. It's hard to sing some of these songs and to just, in the sweet by and by, you know, it's difficult to do that if you're thankful for what God's done in your life. If I'm constantly counting my blessings, if I'm constantly focused on how good He has been to me and around me and in my life and what He's doing in me and through me, it's awfully hard to sing those songs and not be incredibly thankful, like down on my knees, thankful. Let me take you to a couple of verses. Psalm 100, <clears throat> this is a beautiful psalm. It's really, really short. It's only five verses long. But one, verse 4, he says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. There's something about coming to worship that is tied intrinsically to thanksgiving. You can't really separate these two thoughts. Worship and thanksgiving. These two go together. Songs and thanksgiving, they, they're, they're part and parcel. Two sides of the same coin. If, if you could even separate them that far, we should enter His gates. You come into His presence, right? Just like you're coming into a city's gates, you come into His presence. You come into His, his house with thanksgiving. And you enter His courts with praise, give thanks to Him, and you bless His name. This, this idea of thanksgiving and thankfulness, this outpouring uh, of gratefulness is all over our songs. It ought to be all over our worship. And so when we sing, it ought to be this outpouring of thankfulness. That's part of the preparation that I've already done. In the days that lead up to Sunday and Wednesday... And then even in my personal worship, in the hours and days that lead up to those times of worship, I've been considering how good He has been and how thankful I am because of those things. I look for them. Maybe I write them down. Psalm 95. Check that one out. Psalm 95 verses 1 through 3. He says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. We, we sing this song. It's been put to music. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Do you think that the psalmist has stopped to consider what makes God a great God? Has he got some specific things in mind where God has done immeasurable things, to use Paul's term in Ephesians. I think he has. 
I think he's got some specific things in mind. And when he pins these words, his mind is on those things. But when he worships, that's where his mind goes. They go back to his thankfulness, this outpouring of gratefulness for what God has done around him and in him. It's interesting to me that, especially in Psalms, but not just in Psalms, that God ties songs with thanksgiving. They're inextricably tied together. And so as we come to worship, one of the things that we had better have already done, put the work into, is to think through what He has done that I am grateful for. And you don't have to look all that far. And after you start training yourself to see those things, more and more start popping up every day. And you'll start praising Him for things that you would think of as minimal earlier on in your life. But now you see His hand in all these things. And you attribute them all to, to Him. One of the things we need to be doing as we sing is having a grateful heart. Let me show you how easy it is to overlook that blessing, any blessing. The biggest blessing you can think of in your life, it's incredibly easy to overlook it. Numbers chapter 11, verses 24 through 25, you find the children of Israel in the wilderness. They have left Egypt and now they're looking back on their time in Egypt and they're thinking, what? good days those were. I mean, those were the glory days of Israel when we got to be uh, the Egyptian slaves. And it seems like to me, reading between the lines what's going on here, it seems like they looked back on those days like they were the ones sitting underneath the, the fig trees, munching down on figs while somebody fanned them with palm fronds. They were living the dream, man. This was an amazing thing. And they had completely forgotten what it was like to be an Egyptian slave. And so now, as free people who are following the God of the universe, literally by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, these guys look back on Egypt and they say, Oh, we had it so good in Egypt. We had all the meat we could eat. We had all the food we could enjoy. And here all we have is this silly manna. Oh, I hate manna. You remember manna? Of course, it's these little coriander seed-looking things that they, God rains down from heaven every single day and afternoon for the entire 600,000-man army of Israel to eat. I mean, if you see bread falling from heaven two times a day, you ought to be able to attribute that back to a higher power, right? Especially when that higher power is talking to you. But they don't. They've overlooked this blessing. Look what he does when they do that. In Numbers chapter 11, 24 through 25, they have complained to the extent that God has become fed up with them. Their ungratefulness and their ingratitude has incurred His wrath. And so He's going to give them meat. You want meat? I'm going to give you so much meat it comes out your nose. That's what He says. Numbers 11, go back and read it. You want meat? I'm going to give you so much meat you can't even stand it. It's going to make you sick. Check it out. Verses 24 and 25. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. 
Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders as soon as the spirit rested on them. They prophesied, but they did not continue doing so. Now the two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. Hold on. I'm in the wrong spot. <laughs> It's Numbers 11, somewhere around 31. Yeah, 31. This didn't read far enough, sorry. Then the wind from the Lord sprang up in, in Numbers 11, 31, and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side, around the camp, and about two cubits above the ground. He's talking about three feet quail for as far as you can walk that, that way for a whole day. So you start walking, you get to the center of the camp, and you walk that day for, or you walk that way for an entire day, and you walk on three feet worth of quail. You turn around, you come right back to the center, you walk that way for as far as you can go for an entire day. It's like 20 miles. 20 miles worth of quail. You walk as far as you can go that way for an entire day, and you walk on nothing but three feet of quail. Verse 32 says, Those who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. This is such an incredible story for me. Because do you know how much a homer is? They're talking about 60 bushels worth of quail. And that's what the old people and the little kids and, and the sick ones, the ones who didn't, couldn't gather very much, that's what they gathered. 60 bushels worth of quail. And what did they do? Verse 33. While the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Now, why would he do that? My only assumption here, the text obviously doesn't tell us, but the only reason I could see him doing that is they continued complaining. Ingratitude is contagious. They've got... 60 bushels per person of quail. That's more than you could eat in a month. More food than you could eat in a month. And that's just what the least of them gathered. Think about the one who was greedy. How many bushels of quail does this guy have? Who knows? But whatever he had, the congregation started complaining about it again, apparently. And God struck them with a great plague and killed a great many of them. Thankfulness is something we have to focus on or we'll miss it. And so when it seems silly to think of preparation in worship as walking through some of the things that I'm thankful for, had they done that in Numbers chapter 11 we would have been reading a very different story. It's something we need to focus on. Luke chapter 17, 11 through 16, we don't have time to go through the story, to, to read the story tonight, but it's the parable of, or it's the story of the ten lepers. Ten lepers come to Jesus. They're from very, they yell at him from a, a long distance away, <clears throat> asking him to heal them. And he obliges, and only one of them comes back. 
I don't know how far. He tells them to go show themselves to the priest, which is the Mosaical law. If you've got um, some sort of skin disease like leprosy, you would have to go to the priest and show yourself to him. and He would inspect you and say, oh, you're clean or you need to spend some more time outside the camp. Sorry. And so that's what Jesus tells these ten guys to do. Eventually, I'm assuming they get to the priest and he pronounces them clean, but only one of them comes back. It's awfully easy to overlook our thankfulness, the things that we ought to be thankful for. It's awfully easy to overlook those things, but we can't afford to do that in our worship. That's one of the things that we have to be focused on. Because if you focus on your thankfulness in worship, that will pour out of your heart in praise. And that's the most that we can bring to Him in worship. Complete, unfettered gratefulness for what He's done in my life and in those lives around me. Very quickly here toward the end, as we look back at Colossians 3, we find one more caveat to worship. Colossians chapter 3, verse, six, uh, verse 17. He says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So this verse in, in Matthew 5, um, 23-24, He talks about if you're coming to worship and you remember that you've got something against one of your brothers or sisters, then you go to him or her and you make that thing right and then you come back to worship. There are some actions and some attitudes that we bring into worship that ought not be here and they get in the way of our worship. There are some things that we need to leave at the door and, and really, really far away from us so that they don't impede our worship. Luke chapter 19, if you want to turn there real quick, we can read that one. Uh, but you know this story, Luke, Luke chapter 19, this is Zacchaeus' story. And he is a tax collector. In fact, this guy is not the normal tax collector. Matthew's the normal tax collector. If you would have gone to pay your taxes uh, at one of the booths, you would have gone to Matthew and you would have seen his face or someone like him behind that tax booth and you would have given him your money. Matthew is in, or men like Matthew would have gathered their money together at the end of the month or week or whatever and they would have taken it to a man like Zacchaeus. He is a chief tax collector. I think it's what the King James translation calls him. But he's in charge of a lot of these little tax collectors. These guys were known for fraud and embezzlement, our terms. They were known as thieves. They make money off their own countrymen. And Zacchaeus, uh, well, let's just read it, 19, uh, 8 and 9. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. He saw something that had gotten in his way. He saw an action and an attitude and even a belief about him from other people that was getting in his way and their way of worship. And what did he do? He made it right. That's the most we can do 
in worship. At least it's something we can do in worship. It's a, it's a start in the right direction, right? And so we do these things. We look for things to be thankful for. We look for ways to prepare our hearts so that when we come together as a group of God's people, we just pour out our hearts in thanks and praise to Him. We remove every barrier and every obstacle out of our path so that that doesn't get in my way. Because if I'm a cheat, if I'm a liar, if I'm struggling with some of these other sins on a continual basis, they're going to get in your way of worship. You're going to be sitting there thinking, singing these songs and thinking these thoughts and that sin's going to come right back and it's going to bite you, isn't it? It's going to get in your way of worship and it has to be dealt with. Not just for your worship to be all that it can be, but so that you can retain your salvation. Worship is incredibly important. Singing is incredibly important. And we need to be thinking through how we can give the most. What can I do to prepare my heart to give the most to Him? Because He is so worth every ounce of my effort. Today, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, now is the perfect opportunity to make that right, to have your sins washed away, to become like Him, to put on Him in baptism and become a brand new creation. Maybe you've already made that decision and you just need the prayers of this congregation to stay focused on Him and to do what's right. We want to help you in any way we can. Why don't you come as we stand and sing?
Thanks, Danny. Good evening, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. Uh, as a reminder that Life Group 1, that's Rick's Life Group, will meet here at the building at 7 o'clock on Saturday. Also, the men's planning meeting is at 8 o'clock on Saturday morning. Uh, so all men, please come to that. Um, also, next Sunday will be a high school and middle school devotional at the Trevathan's house. And uh, do not forget to put in your calendars, November 20th is our special needs contribution. Um, we're still, the new quarter starts December, the teaching quarter starts December through February. Um, we're still needing teachers for that. Um, if you can help out with that, I'd be greatly appreciated. Uh, please see Connie if you can help out with that. Remember, continue to keep Gary Leap in your prayers. He has surgery on his road. Uh, Rotary cup. Rotator. Rotator cup. Man, I cannot. I was, it's one of those days. Um, I can make announcements. I yeah. Can't yeah. <laughs> um, on Wednesday, Murray continue to keep uh, his, Gary's brother in your prayers, Terry Leap, as well. Um, Murray to pray for Sandy Hughes, uh, Jennifer Baker, and Gail Hewitt. Um, and that's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it, it has been prepared in a conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Sing two verses of uh, When We All Get to Heaven, 756. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare us a place when we all get to heaven. What Father, we appreciate so much the opportunity to come here and to worship you and to let you know, Father, how much we appreciate you've done for all the things that you've done for us. Father, your son has made it possible for us to be called your child, and that is our 
only hope for eternity. Father, we have many people on our heart that are in need of strength, in need of healing, or in need of changing their life around. Father, each one of us has those people on our heart and accept our prayers for them that they may make the changes that need to be made. And Father, that we might make the changes also that make us more appreciative of you and more like your son. Father, go with us as we leave this place and help us to always let our light shine before men that you might be glorified. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.